0: Everybody good? I hope you're good. We're going to be in the book of Titus. We've been walking verse by verse through the book of Titus, and here's the cool thing about when you walk verse by verse through a passage of scripture. You're going to talk about things that are uncomfortable and things that you wouldn't necessarily talk about. So today's message is going to talk about three things. We're going to talk about slavery, living under authority, and adorning the gospel. So slavery living under authority and adorning the gospel, and you're saying, what are you getting at? If you, uh, Titus chapter 2, we're gonna, if you turn in your Bible there, we're going to check that out in a second. Um, and if, uh, if, you have, if you don't have a copy of God's Word, it'll be on the screen. Titus chapter 2, and we talked about last week, we walked through different, Titus gives instructions for ways that different people, different age groups, demographics in the church ought to act. I'm going to read that real quick. And then he gets to this last demographic. It's going to make us a little uncomfortable today, but it's good to talk about uncomfortable things because if you talk about this, there's some things that we need to talk about that they're uncomfortable. It's like going to the doctor and um, and you go and you, you have to talk about things you would not usually talk about with anybody else in plight company, right? Okay. If you haven't been there yet, it's coming and you're going to talk about that. And you're going to be like, this is uncomfortable, but it's necessary for our health. And so if you look at it today, we're going to talk about something uncomfortable, but it's necessary for our church's health. And so if you would, Titus chapter two, verse one everybody okay by the way i know it's raining and it's like you're awake you with me good all right let's do this thing titus chapter two verse one it says this but as for you teach what accords with sound doctrine older men are to be sober-minded dignified self-control sound in the faith in love and in steadfastness older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior not slanderers or slaves to too much wine they're to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may, be, may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled and show yourself, Titus, in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity and dignity and sound speech that can't be condemned, so the opponent may not be able to shame, having nothing evil to say about you. And here's our text for today, these next two verses. Slaves are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing. Not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior. Now, I want you to know something. The Scriptures talk about the reality of the situation. In the first century, there were quite a lot of people in slavery, okay? In fact, one th- if you were in the Roman Empire in the first century, where this message, this letter was written to a church, on the- or a man named Titus on the Isle of Crete in the first century of the Roman Empire, this particular place, there would be one out of every three people in the Roman Empire was a slave, one out of every three. Now, that's a lot of people. So one, if, you, if you're here, they'll be like, one, two, slave. One, two, slave. Okay, so that would be the first thing you need to know. Elsewhere in the world, outside of the Roman Empire, one out of every five people would be a slave. Now, slavery was common and obviously in this particular way it has been common throughout the world and in particularly it was common and prevalent in Rome and i want to I want to differentiate because when we think of the word slave we immediately think of the um, the slavery in the americas especially the american south as around the time of the civil war that slavery was based on race and this slavery in rome and where paul's writing this letter or the Roman empire is not based on race. It's far broader than that. It goes across racial, social and national lines. And so here's the thing, very likely most of us in this room would, or at least a third of us, maybe more given where we are demographically would have been slaves. If we lived in the Roman empire in the first century. And you're like, well, how did that happen? How did slavery, you know, come to be in this particular situation? Let me walk you why I'm talking about this for a second, because we need to understand the context of scripture before you can understand the meaning of the scriptures. That makes sense. You ever been taken out of context? The worst way to be taken out of context is with a text message. Okay? that's why emojis were invented. Okay. It wasn't just to be cute. Okay. Cause you can't, you can't be sarcastic if you can't use tone, you know that, right? You are just being a jerk. Okay. Or just being un- misunderstood. So you put the winky face, that kind of stuff. And so to understand this, that, you know, when you're, when you're, you're joking, the thumbs up, okay. Or say something really harsh, but then put the laughing face after it. Then people know, Oh, they're not just being a jerk. They're the sarcasm that, we have to understand the context of this to understand the meaning for us today. And so we need to understand what slavery was at this time because the Bible mentions it because it was a historical reality, sadly. And so we see this. It's different than the American South. P- slavery was far more pervasive in the Roman culture than in this time, than in that time. So in the first century, how would you become a slave? And so here's a few things I want you to know. You could become a slave because if, if your land got captured in war, so you could become a slave that way. If you defaulted on debt, you could be a, become a slave in the first century, which means if you ever had to declare bankruptcy, which you know it's more than, I declare bankruptcy, okay? I mean, it's, if, if you've ever been that or you had to default on a loan, now you can get bankruptcy and the slate be clean, your credit be a mess, but you can come back from it. Then it was like, oh, you're now a slave. Wow, that's pretty harsh. Thirdly, if you were in, unable to support yourself like you couldn't make any money you could actually sell yourself into slavery and that seems like a harsh thing but in a in a state that didn't have welfare for non-roman citizens it was quite common for people to be like i can't support myself i can't support my family i'm going to sell myself or sell my kid into slavery so they'll have a better life than i do now seems hard to think about but that was the nature of this culture also, we, we, we just mentioned it, but if you were if you were a child, you could be sold if your parents didn't have enough to raise you and they found somebody wealthy in the community they could sell you to that person and so that you could have a better life. And I know that sounds weird, but here's the thing. Most of the time, the slaves in Rome or in the Roman Empire were better treated and had better lives than those who were free. Not all the time, but free men usually lived at a sto- they had their freedom but they were at a lower level socioeconomically. Also, if you got convicted of a crime, you could choose going to jail sometimes or be enslaved. I guess if you committed a crime against somebody, they could enslave you. Finally, you could be slaved by kidnapping and piracy. So there was a lot of ways to become a slave in the first century. Now if we think about that, that is, that is so different than our culture and than what we've ever thought about slavery before. And that we need to understand that in order to understand this passage. And so let me give you, there's some positive sides <laughs> Slavery is evil in all of its accounts, but there are some positive sides. And the reason why it, perva- it was pervasive in Rome is a couple of things. A lot of times people would sell themselves into slavery because their living conditions were very low. And some people worked what you think of slavery, those long, hard hours in fields and in mines. And usually that was more the criminal type. But there was a lot of slaves who actually enjoyed their slavery, quote, unquote, at least as much as you can enjoy being owned by another person. And in this particular situation in Rome, they were, at, they were able to be highly skilled workers, and they were trusted with administration. Some of them were physicians. Some of them were able to actually make enough money, to, and they would get paid for their slavery. Okay? It was almost like a job situation with a contract and a non-compete. They were there until they made enough money where they could buy back their slavery. And oftentimes, slaves could make enough money and make a good enough living in the first century that they could buy their own freedom. And frequently, slaves were better off than free laborers of the time. Now, obvious negatives, you're owned by another person, and you're treated as property in the first century, which means that you had no rights. You had the same right as your dog does, okay? Maybe even your dog. in our days, our dogs have more rights than than the slaves of that time. They're treated like property, which is a horrible violation of God's creation of man in his image. But nevertheless, that that could happen. Also, here's the thing: if a slave, the way they kept the slavery system intact in Rome, was that if you attacked your slave master, every slave in the house not only got punished but got executed. That was best. so if one of your guys messes up and pushes the master, the whole all the slaves in the house could have been executed. Finally, if you were in rebellion, the penalty for a rebellious slave was crucifixion which is one of the most heinous ways that a person could die. And it was a public spectacle of a death to show, hey, this is a system that is, is going to be intact and is the way of the Roman world at this time. Now, I want to be, be clear about that because the slavery in the Scriptures, you need to understand it in order to understand this passage. I want to say a few more other things about slavery because here's the thing. You, when you woke up the more, this morning and came to church, you were like, we're gonna, you probably didn't think, we're going to talk about slavery this morning. But here's what the text has done. If you look, he writes to, and there was apparently in the church, a whole bunch of slaves in this church who have been set free in the gospel but have not been set free yet of their bonds or human bonds. And I want to make a few points about slavery. Some of these are going to be like, duh. Okay. But some of them, you just need to know for the sake of this is an uncomfortable topic, but we need to understand basic human dignity and the way God has made us in his image and, and what is going on with this issue of slavery that the Bible does talk about. Secondly, I want you to see this. There's the background. Here's this, the second thing. Slavery, is sin. Let me just say that again. Slavery is sin. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Especially the sin, especially the slavery that was happening, uh, all slavery is sin, but especially that was happening in the American South in the 1800s. That was race-based and prejudice. White supremacy or any, any racial supremacy has no place in the gospel. That is against the way God has made us. He made us all, every human being in his image uniquely, and therefore we should have dignity. One, one writer named Danny, Dr. Danny Aiken says this about slavery. He says, few things reveal the depth and the breadth of total depravity of mankind like the institution of slavery. Treating those made in the image of God as a commodity to be bought and sold, this barbaric social structure reared its ugly head amongst almost from the beginning of human history and has continued its cruel exploitation and abuse right on to the present, ripping children from their parents as if there were nothing more than a litter of puppies, separating husbands and wives because it was economically prosperous, with no regard for the heartache and devastation it inflicted. The institution is blind is a blight on the human race and demonstrates just how wicked the human heart can be. And that is exactly true. S- slavery is sin. Now, the Bible does never prescribe slavery. It does, in those particular instances, when it does refer to slavery, it talks about how masters and slaves should behave while the institution is in place. However, let me, let me just tell you this. You ask the question, why does the New Testament or Jesus and the apostles never directly call for the abolishment of slavery? Well, one, one article said this, and I think it's right. Neither Jesus nor the apostles condemned slavery because slavery was such a part of their, soci- of their society that the call for abolition would have resulted in violence and bloodshed. We experienced that in, in America because it was rooted in our, in, in our, at our DNA level for that our, our economy was based on slavery. And to get rid of slavery, amongst other things, the Civil War occurred and millions of people passed perished. And Jesus and the apostles they they realized that it was so ingrained in society that they they spoke against it in a way but they never directly condemned it because they knew it would bring violence and bloodshed but this rather Jesus and the apostles set forth principles of human dignity equality Gospel freedom that eventually led to the abolition or the destruction of slavery. And if you look throughout history, where Christianity has been taken to its ends and Christianity has been understood and deeply rooted, slavery has been abolished. Now, there have been many Christians who missed the boat throughout the years. It's true. And they, they thought slavery and the gospel were compatible. But they were wrong and they were in error. Maybe not on all issues, but definitely on that one. And they took Christianity in, in England, and two men in particular, to help abolish the slave trade, which inevitably would lead to the abolishment of slavery in the United States. You had a guy named William Wilberforce. If you've never looked up William Wilberforce, he was very much responsible as an English legislator, as one who made slavery illegal in the British Empire, which was massive at the time. There's also a guy by the name of John Newton, okay? He was not related to Olivia Newton-John, okay? That that's not John Newton was a guy who wrote Amazing Grace. You ever heard that song before? I'm sure you have. You heard it in a bunch of different ways. You heard it at church, you heard the person singing, "Oh, Amazing Grace." Okay? Heard it on American Idol, everybody thinks they can sing Amazing Grace, okay? John Newton wrote Amazing Grace. Here's the thing about John. John living about 1700s Uh, mid-1700s to the uh, early 1800s. He was a wealthy man who got sold into slavery in the Caribbean, who was eventually redeemed out of slavery, and then became a believer, wrote Amazing Grace. And if you want to talk about a testimony, this dude had a testimony. Go check him out. He wrote this hymn, Amazing Grace, and then he was the theological force behind William Wilberforce that, that they stood together to help abolish slavery in England. So note this that Jesus and the apostles didn't directly condemn slavery because it was so rooted in the social culture. But the, the things, the principles laid down in Scripture would eventually lead men of faith to go against this heinous sin. Finally, I want you to know this, because you're thinking, well, that's, oh, thanks for the history lesson, buddy. Now we got some facts. I want you to go back, and I want you to think about this. Slavery still exists, And we should do whatever we can as people of the gospel, the liberating good news of Jesus, to oppose it and bring liberation. Now you're thinking, slavery exists, huh? Yes. According to 2017 data, there are 25 million slaves still in the world. Technically, because of population growth, that is more slaves existing now than in the history of mankind. 25 million. You can get these statistics. There's a a website called enditmovement.org. And uh, the Passion Conference helped bring awareness to this. And out of the Passion Conference, which is a meeting of of kids 18 to 25 to worship Jesus and make much of their lives for his sake, Um, that... That movement has spawned this movement called the End It Movement, which is partnered with a lot of agencies that have helped to shine a light on slavery, that it still exists, and that it is something that should be opposed by people of faith. And if you, you may have seen, if you ever, you know, on February 7th, it was a big day where it was National Abolishments of Slavery Day, and everybody put a red X on their hand. And if you go in LifeWay stores, you may see red Xs everywhere. You hear about the End It movement. This is because there are 25 million people still in slavery. Now, this slavery includes indentured servanthood, um, out, and a lot of this place, takes place in Asia and in uh, Eastern Europe and down in some, sometimes even in the Americas. It also includes sex trade. The sex slavery and sex trafficking, two of the biggest places for sex trafficking in the entire country are Nashville, Tennessee, and Atlanta, Georgia. Our, one of our, our former senators, uh, Bill Coker, I believe is his name, was in- instrumental in getting legislation passed to help abolish slavery, and we're thankful for him and his work there. And I'm not, this is not a political endorsement. Okay, don't take it for that. I'm thankful for that work in that particular area because this is true. And during, do you know what the number one sex trafficking problem, we're the number one sex trafficking problem in America happens? Super Bowl week. There was an article about that in USA Today recently. There is more slaves now than at any other point in human history. Now, what do we do with that as people of faith? Well, a couple of things. We need to make ourselves aware of that. First time I made was made aware of that, I did maybe what you're doing. Wow. And then I said, no way. That can't be true. Because I don't know about you. I'm a little skeptical of statistics. You know, let it say 100% of statistics are made up. Okay? Um, and, and then after doing some research and, and being, it's, it's true. And sometimes you see those shady massage parlors on the side of the road that say truckers only, very likely those people are involved in sex trafficking. And there needs to be, and there has been things put into motion. So if first we can start off, and then we look at this, this problem. It's huge. It's massive. What can we do? First off, we can become aware of it. And you can go to the enditmovement.org, and then you can also, at that, that place, and it's a gospel-based, faith-based organization trying to end slavery in our lifetime, and you can become aware of several things or several organizations that are... In, that are in the fight. And you can get information from that and become aware of that. One of those places, International Justice Mission, it's one of the people that sponsors End It Movement. You check these guys out. It's a bunch of lawyers who go for, and fight for the disenfranchised in some of the worst countries in the world. It's a great organization. They do it in Jesus' name. Another organization run by a lady named Christine Kane, some of you may know who she is. She's kind of a ball. She's a Greek ball of dynamite. Um, she has this organization called A21. It focuses specifically on helping women get out of the sex trafficking in Greece and and Turkey and all those places like that. And so you want to get maybe make be aware. Second thing, awareness leads to support. Find out how you can support causes like this when legislation and we have since since 2000 and thir- or 2012 legislation has been put before the Senate and in the Tennessee State House and other places in Georgia as well to help abolish slavery. Get know when this legislation is coming out, be aware and then support when that legislation against slavery and sex trafficking comes up, support that legislation and those who are courageous enough to stand up against this stuff, support them. You may support through funds and then you can pray because the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And so I just said, I know that was more informational than you wanted. And we just bombarded you with that, but you need to know this slavery existed in the first century. It was different than Amer- than the American slavery. And in a lot of ways, it was an easier thing. It's still evil, but it was easier in the first century on the slaves because many of them lived normal lives. They just were owned. But slavery still exists, we need to remember that it is a sin and that this, the gospel principles of being every person being made in the image of God and that there is true freedom in Christ should be applied in these areas, and we should be against this sin in our day. And we have an opportunity and we have voices that we can raise. And you know what? Maybe none of us will ever go on a raid to raid a brothel or break an indentured, you know, run into a sweatshop and stop it. But you know what? God could use our voices and our prayers and even our support, financially and otherwise, to help make end this now. And I want you to think, $25 million. I did some research last night. That is, if you added the populations of Alabama, Georgia, Tennessee, Kentucky, those entire populations, that's almost 25, 26 million people. That's how many people are enslaved. Can you imagine all those states just being full of slaves, not a free person there? That is unbelievable. And the gospel brings freedom. And we should be people who fight for freedom, spiritually and otherwise. So in all that being said, We look at this passage, and we see the heaviness of this slavery, but we can also apply it in our lives. Like, Matt, I'm not a slave. No, but you're under authority. All of us are under authority in some way. These people are under authority. Now, this authority was unjust, and it was wrong, slavery, okay? But what does Paul tell them to do? What does he tell them to do? Well, look in the passage. Paul says, slaves... Are to, be, are to be submissive to their own masters. Now, I want to help you understand something. This, there's some translation choices that were made by the ESV, um, ESV uh, translators. And I want you to know something. The second part, in everything, they are to be well-pleasing. And everything shouldn't go to the master's part. It should be applied to that next sentence. So here's the thing that Paul tells them to do. First thing he says, to be submissive to their own masters. Second thing it says is to, in everything, they are to be well-pleasing. That's the second thing. Third thing is to not be argumentative. The fourth thing is to not be pilfering, but to show all good faith. And so here is what Paul says: If you are in a situation where you are underneath authority, here is how you should behave. It doesn't matter whether the authority is just or unjust. You need to function according to these principles so that the gospel might be seen. Now, this is hard, hard stuff to do, but it makes some sense. If you think about the nature of the gospel, and you think about Christ's sufferings, first off, every one of us is under some form of authority, whether we want to realize it or not. And they're like we're Americans, and we're big on freedom, we talk about freedom all the time. And thank God, we do have freedoms. We have more freedoms than the people of first century Rome. We have more freedoms probably than any other group of people left in the world, and maybe in the history of the world with the amount of freedoms that we have. I know it may not feel like that, but we do have authority over us, and you know that every time you get your paycheck. You know why? Because this guy named FICA takes stuff away. This social security guy takes things away and you get your $10 an hour is not $10 an hour or $15, 20 whatever you make. Okay. And I pray you make a lot. All right. In Jesus name, but the government's going to get their peace, right? Here's the thing. You are actually free not to file your taxes, but you won't be free for long. Okay. Because they will show up at your door. And they will arrest your butt, okay? And here's why. Because you are underneath their authority. Well, the tax laws are unjust. I don't disagree with you. Well, they use it for things that are wrong. Absolutely. That's well, a bunch of nincompoops in Washington. A to the men, okay? But Romans 13 tells us to, be, to live in submission to those authorities that are over us with one condition, that is, unless they require of us something that is clearly taught in Scripture is wrong, or it requires us to do something that is against the Scriptures. Clearly, okay? Clearly taught in the Scriptures. In that case, we need to exercise civil disobedience. Never do you see in the Scriptures a call from Jesus or the apostles when something's unjust, Let's cut people. Let's have a riot. Let's punch people in the ear. Let's make this happen. Let's go through the history of Jesus' Jesus's way of dealing with things. If someone strikes you on the cheek, you hit them with a chair, WWE style. No, that is not. Some of you are like, amen, that's in the Bible. No, that's not. That's an O. Oh me. Turn the other cheek. Someone insults you. Someone does that. You turn the other cheek from them. What is else? So if someone tells you to go one mile... You walk too. Now, here's the, here's the background on that. A Roman citizen could come up to someone at any time, especially a Roman soldier, and say, carry my stuff for one mile. And if you were a non-citizen, you know what you had to do? You had to do it. And so Jesus says, well, how do you win the day? Is it by griping and complaining and being like, no, man, I'm not doing that. I'm not serving you. He said, the way to win the day is to carry it two miles. And we see here in the Scriptures that we are under authority, whether they are just or not. We have to walk in, in the time frames we're in under that providence unless we are told by the, the government is telling us this is something contrary to the Scriptures. For example, the underground church in China is, ap, is operating illegally, but in God's, in God's eyes they're operating as they should because the government can't tell you who to worship. And so, very clearly, they are act, they're doing civil disobedience. But what the Scriptures do not say is, Church in China, rise up, and let's have a revolution, baby. No, the revolution, what well, you see in the Scriptures, comes from gospel living. And I understand the influence that Mahatma Gandhi had on Martin Luther King Jr., but during the civil rights campaign and the nonviolence, those were Jesus principles, that were enacted because they showed the heinousness of racism by the way they set and allowed those dogs and those water hoses to attack them. And what happened? People saw this peaceful protest and it incited change. And gospel living let me tell you this, gospel living is powerful. And so the way, and so we got this one instance where you're under this, the authority of government and you're like, man, I was hoping we were going to get some like, all right, let's get a militia together and let's stick it to the government because we need a flat tax or whatever. No, you know what it says to be submissive, which means to recognize the authority that you're under. Second thing we see here in this particular situation is that we are all, most of us are under the authority of an employer. Now I'm meddling, okay? I went from preaching to meddling right there because here's the deal. The way that we as believers are supposed to act towards those over us in an employer situation is to not be hostile. It's to be submissive, not to the point of abuse, but to the point of we will obey the authority that's over us until we find another job or until we, but and when we, when we wake up in the morning and we go to that employer, those in front of us, whether that's also it could be for students at, at school and if it thinks the thing's unfair, we go unless they're teaching, telling us to do something contrary to scripture, we go underneath that authority submitting to them as we would to the Lord because we're trying to make much of him in these situations. And so here's the thing that Paul gives us to do. And then let note this slaves are under way worse conditions than you are at work. You know that, right? Because like you own yourself. Okay? Like you, you belong to you. And if you want to get another job, you can. But slaves couldn't. So Paul tells them to do it. If, he, if they can operate under these principles, how much more can we operate under these principles when we're free? And we will show the gospel. So here's, here's several things. When you wake up in the morning, you got to get up and you got to live under the authority of the government or you got to live under the authority of your employer. Here's what you should wake up and do. And wake up and think. Because if you don't wake up and think these things, you're going to go the opposite direction. Here's a few things, just the little ways that you can see this this morning. You are to be submissive in all things to your masters. Submissive, which means you are to recognize the authority that's over you. Your boss may be an idiot, maybe a huge idiot, but you know what? You can't walk in and go, You're an idiot. Well, you can, I guess, and you're going to get fired. But if you're trying to live underneath Christ, you may, be set, you may be feeling he's an idiot, but you need to pray for the idiot, okay? And then secondly, you have to go in and work submissively, knowing that God's put you in that position for, for at least that season. And you know, if you wake up in a... In a if you've got kids, some mornings they wake up and they're ready to just go along with the day. And some days, they're ready. it's like they're standing in front of tanks in Tiananmen Square, okay? I mean, it's like, no, we'll not do that. That cup is the wrong color. I will not drink out of that. They just wake up, just angry, like, nuh-uh. You say, this, you say up, you say up, they say down. They say down, they, you, they say horizontal, okay? They, they're just, they, will, they are going to just buck you. And here's the thing. Many of us, we don't give a good representation of Christ because we wake up, in that mood, when we go to our office and through our daily life. And we were not gonna be submissive. Everything you tell me to do is dumb and I'm gonna do things my way. And the scripture says one of the things that we do in Christ is we are supposed to be submissive to those in authority over us within reason, within the bounds of scripture. Secondly, to do this, to strive in everything that we might be well-pleasing. That means that we strive, our employer and in front of the government and everything, to do what is right, to please that person. I know you might work for somebody that you can never please. I know teenagers in here, it seems like you can never please your parents. And they're in authority over you. But I will tell you this, your job is not necessarily to please them, but to do everything you can to That's not from a standpoint of trying to find your identity in that, but that is we are supposed to work. And the scriptures talk about it as unto the Lord, all of our, if when you're in Christ, you're, whole vocation and everything is done as to the Lord. You are living not just for yourself, for your employer, your paycheck, but you're living to make much, no, much of Christ. If you woke up and you said, I don't have to work for the man this morning, and I wanna sing, take this job and shove it. If you go opposite of that and you wake up, I'm working for the Lord, and yes, the people there drive me crazy, and they're dumb, but I am working for Jesus. It changes your day. It changes your trajectory. Thirdly, we see this: We should be uh, we should not be argumentative, which you know what argumentative means, right? It means you're looking for an argument. You can find one really easily. You know that, right? Let me give you an example. The Florida Gators are the best team in the SEC. Okay. Somebody's going to throw something at me. Don't like that. I can say, okay. Yeah. Some of you are like, oh, later. And you like, who's number one in the basketball? And I was like, Kentucky beat you. Okay. Okay. I love you, but I just started an argument. Okay. You can start an argument. So if you walk up to those under your authority and you come in argumentative, guess what? You're going to find an argument. Thirdly, it says not pilfering, which means not stealing. So remember these: the people he's writing to, they're slaves; they're underneath this unjust, unjust system. And he's saying, you work as unto the Lord, being submissive to the master, as long as it accords is not against Scripture. Um, do everything to please them. Don't be argumentative. Don't pilfer or steal. Don't take the paper clips. Don't slip the petty cash in, in your wallet. Don't say, well, I've done this, so I deserve that. It says, don't do that. But show all good faith, which means to let your faith, the goodness of your faith, be known to people. How is that done? It's not done in just words if you're talking about the good news of Jesus, which you should do, but you also should do this. You should back up what you say with what you do, Right? Your, your kids know this very well because you have probably done it. Do what I say, not what I do. Because they're going to point it out to you. The best case scenario is to make what you say and what you do line up. And then this particular way, when you are a, a professing Christian, and that's funny because there's no other way to be, right? Christianity involves profession. By that, I mean, you can't be like a closet Christian. It can't be like, I hold it in the back. No, in Christianity, it's you either profess me among men or I don't have any part with you. That's what Jesus said. And so as we're walking in these situations, we're under authority. We need to walk as if we are under Christ's authority. In all these situations, we are trying to point people to him as professing believers. So if we wake up with that in mind... We try to transform our mind, or we try to be transformed through the renewing of our mind in Scripture, as Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, that we should wake up and try to fight for this daily because it's not easy. And finally, note this why is all this done? Verse 10 they're not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that, now it gives the purpose, in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Now, that is a weird phrase. So here's the purpose of all of the, calling the older men and the younger men and the older women and the younger women to, to mentor one another and to, to work in Christ to have all this Christian character and for these slaves to exemplify Christian character in all these situations. Here is the reason that we should do this. That in everything, in all things, so, but how about this? No, and everything it encompasses that. No, but not everything they may adorn the doctrine of God. So, God, our Savior. So, here's the idea: doctrine equals teaching. So, the teachings of God, our Savior, might be adorned by the way that we behave in the church. And what anything, adorn, we don't use that word. That's such an archaic word. What do you mean adorn? I've never adorned anything. That is a weird word. Adorning things, I'm never going to say that word. But we do a lot of adorning in our culture. You better call it adorning. We do. There are these things on YouTube called makeup videos, makeup tutorials. Have you ever seen these? many of you guys haven't, I have had the misfortune. I mean, uh, you know, you know, you see these things and like ladies on there will, the best ones are makeup tutorial fails, by the way, that is the best. Okay. Um, the lady might pokes himself in the eye with mascara or cut their hair off with a curling iron. It's the best. Um, that's how I found out these were there was by the fails. And then, but ladies will go on there on YouTube and they will draw the crazy circles and then use the contour things and do all the makeup and they make themselves. And if you've ever seen this before, they can, some of these makeup artists can make themselves just with makeup look like ex- different people. Like some of like they have this lady who make herself look like Michael Jackson and then Prince. And then it's so crazy, man, the interwebs, you can go way down on a rabbit trail. Okay. And so we got to the, you've ever seen those things. We, there's a whole industry, there, um, the other day, um, I had a meeting in, uh, in Hendersonville, Long Hollow. I stopped to get coffee at Target. And there's Ulta Beauty right next to Target. It's the middle of the day. And there are these ladies running into that store like, oh, my gosh. Like, it's, I was like, is there a sale? Is this a weekend? What's happening? just droves of ladies running into this place. Now, guys, you think you're getting off of it. And that's, what are they doing? They're doing makeup to adorn themselves. It's not that they're not beautiful, but what they're trying to do, they're trying to highlight and accentuate that which is beautiful. Okay? That's a flattering outfit. It's adorning yourself in a way that you look your best. Now, gentlemen, okay? Because just to think, you guys are like, oh, I'll do makeup tutorials. All right. All right. How many of you? I'm seeing some nice-looking hats in here. I imagine those hats didn't just, you thought, like you thought about that hat, you know exactly what type, I'm the same way, I know exactly what type of hat I like, and I like the way that looks, so I'm going to put this on my head, I'm going to adorn myself with that hat. Some of you guys are like me, you're kind of a sneaker head, okay, I watched the NBA um, the NBA uh, All-Star game the other night, and every commercial was about sneakers, and I'm going to tell you what I did, I was like, oh, I want those, okay, I'm sorry, I have a deep problem, and I need Jesus in my life there, okay, and so you look, looking like, dude, those are awesome, and so there's ways, and some of us are, are into to, to these different things. We work to adorn ourselves in different ways. And even if you're like, I ain't into fashion, I wear what I wear. Do You realize something, you're taking pride in the fact that you wear what you wear. And you adorn yourselves in whatever way you do. We all, and think about the industries of teeth whitening, okay? Or skin creams, or lotion, or aftershave, or even razors. For you guys, and some of you are like I don't do it. Gillette, the best a man could get, you're like, I need twelve blades. Make myself I'll look good if I get twelve blades. Okay, or all I gotta shave. All these things we do to adorn ourselves physically, and some of us would never think about going to work improperly equipped, improperly dressed, it would leaving the house would be a no no. Someone comes to your house and it's not you're not adorned properly. But here is the idea of all of our beliefs and our beliefs and the, the, the following actions that show our beliefs, show that we actually believe our beliefs, are there to, as a way to accentuate the good news, the teachings of God, our Savior. We exist, we are to be submissive to authority and we are to pursue character and we are to pursue discipleship in these mentorship relationships for the purpose of accentuating and showing the world how great our God is and how great our good news is of Christ. That is why, that is why, so that. You do all these things. You show yourself to be good. You're not argumentative. You're not pilfering. You have this character. You're not addicted to too much wine. You try to, to mentor those who are, who are younger in the faith. Why do you do that? So that in everything, in all the ways, the way you live, the way you teach, the way you work, in everything that you may adorn or dress up or accentuate the teachings of our God, our Savior. So know this, our beliefs and our lives show the world who our God is. And they can accentuate or they can obscure him. And our God and our good news of the gospel, that Christ died for our sins while we were yet sinners; that the God-man came, lived the perfect life, that we didn't do it, he succeeded in every way we failed, and then he died on a criminal's cross that he did not deserve, and he bore God's judgment, and he rose again, and that this gospel is offered to all who would believe, apart from works. That is good news, that is teaching worth living for. You may not have thought about that before. The gospel is something just to be believed, but yes, it's something you believe and then to be lived out. It's worthy of that. Our God is worthy of our whole life and for us to make much of him. There's a story, I don't know if it's true or not, but it's a pretty cool one. And it gets to the point of this. There was a man who was a missionary in a foreign country in Asia somewhere. And he kept going and he was a national, uh, he was an Asian national hood, somebody shared the gospel with him, and he believed the good news. And he became, God, he believed God called him to be an evangelist. So you know what he did? He rode his bike from town to town, and when his bike gave out on him, he walked from town to town in his little Asian country, and he walked all around, and he would go into the towns, and he would preach the gospel. He didn't have much. He kind of had the Jesus model of ministry where he'd show up, and if people, if people were like, you know, the message, he would go stay at their house. But, If they would reject, you know what he'd go do? He'd go sleep outside the village next to a tree. Well, he went to this one particular village that was a a really hard-hearted village towards the gospel. And he goes in, he stands on the street corner, and he preaches the good news of Christ, dead, buried, raised, he's God. He preaches the good news. All have sinned, but in Christ, all who believe will not perish to have everlasting life. He preaches the gospel. You know what they do? They beat him and throw him outside of town. The next day after he comes to, you know what he does? He goes right back into town. Same thing. It's like Groundhog's Day, except for he doesn't change any of his stuff, and he gets beat up, and guess where he ends up? Outside of town. Day three, he hadn't given up yet. He gets up and goes back into town, gets beaten, thrown out. The last beating really took its toll. And he didn't come in the fourth day, and so some of the people got concerned, all right, we're going to beat him again. And they went out to check on him. And they noticed something, that this man's feet were beaten and bloodied and calloused. And they didn't touch the man's feet. Because when you're in a fight, you're not like, I'm going to punch that guy in the feet, okay? That's not where that happens. The reason his feet were like that, because he had been walking miles and miles and miles to tell people about Jesus. So he picked a man up, they took him in a house, nursed him back to health, and then they said, would you preach to us again? And I bet you he was like going, why, okay? And he preached to them, and many were converted. Do you know why? His faith was evidenced by his feet. His bloody feet showed the truth of what he believes and it is not easy being in authority to anyone especially to the slaves in this time period that is an unjust sinful way of life in the first century Paul was telling these people those in authority and he's telling us by extension who are in a much better place than them to live lives in under authority in which our feet would you pray with me God you've been so good to us we're thankful for scripture because it takes us to uncomfortable places, but it's for our good. It's like going to the doctor, God. And you are the great physician of our souls and of our lives. And so you want us to point out the ways in which we are not living in submission to you and ways that we need to honor and put feet to our faith. So God, would you help us to walk in faith that honors you, that adorns the gospel that is so worthy of all of our life, God? Would you help us to do that? We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. And I want to dismiss us with these words of benediction. People of God, show your good faith so that in everything you might adorn the doctrine of God, your Savior. Go in peace and his grace. You're dismissed.